Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, Nick and I on some recent races you may have missed last week, Arizona's GOP gubernatorial race, Kansas putting abortion rights on the ballot. More on that in a bit. Plus later on in the program, Dr. Catherine Perlman, she's going to join us to discuss her new book, First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety and Etiquette. It's a fantastic book. A short read, too. But And by the way, it's not for adults. It's for kids. She's going to explain more on that on the other side. And finally, in our last segment, we'll give you some thoughts on the recent Brittany Griner sentence that happened out in Russia. If you're not familiar with what has taken place with the WNBA superstar, Nick and I are with more on that later on. Uh, before I say hello to Nick, can we please talk live? D.C., October 27th, our two-year anniversary, two years ago to the date we put out a first episode of this program it is terrible in my opinion but it's actually not that bad uh but you can go listen to that in the annals and histories of this show if you want to uh hear that uh city tap house over in penn quarters out in washington dc from 5 to 7 p.m we will be there well probably be there most of the night as well but come on down tickets are free you can have some food and drink enjoy got a private area uh, where we'll be having some fans We'll be taking some questions, and we'll also have some fantastic guests that are lined up on the program. You know, Nick is raring to go, and we're going to be in our nation's capital a couple of weeks before the midterm elections. Nick, real quick on D.C., your, your excitement level right here to say hello to the people that listen to this program. Well, first and foremost, hello to everyone listening, and for those who are also viewing as well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny, Mike, October 27th, I mean... The week wrapping around is midterms, so we're actually less than the week from from elections. So DC is going to be buzzing, partly because we're going to be there. But 
just going to be in the heat of it. Um, we started this show, obviously, talking about close to and then in reaction to the 2020 elections. And we did that, obviously, from our respective homes, like we continue to do on this show. But now we get to do it in the nation's capital. It's yes. it's awesome, man. Like I said, nationals are giving away Juan Soto, but they, they get us. Right. So that's, that's <laughs> right. a good trade-off. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think that's, by the way, the fact that you just said that you got me off my train of thought, I did not even think of that because our third episode was about the 2020 election and how funny enough that things are coming back full circle that we've been doing this for two years. Uh, you know, speaking of two years, I want to shout out some fans that have been listening, writing into the program. Shout out to Eileen in California, who recently tagged us in the last episode. If you missed our last episode, go check it out. We had the fantastic Maya King from the New York Times on talking about younger voters. But one of the things that she loved about the episode was the explanation on the PACT Act. When you and I were able to explain in that episode about the bill itself, give some background context, playing sound bites, you know, from not only Senator Toomey and obviously John Stewart, respectively, that bill, fortunately, a lot, uh, fortunately enough, excuse me, has passed. So obviously now that will go to the president's desk after it gets approved in the house, which it had already gotten preliminary approved in the house before that correction error, like we told you on. So shout out to Eileen in California. We really appreciate that. Um, Shout out to also, we've recently had some other listeners of the program. We ran a poll on IG. If you follow us on IG, Can We Please Talk podcast on Twitter at Can We Please Talk. Uh, we had a poll that was running about, should we do an episode on Live Golf, right? And talk about everything that's happening within uh, that circuit, uh, the PGA Tour and what the DOJ investigation is looking into antitrust violations. Recently, now players from the live tour that have been suspended by the PGA tour are suing. People are like, you guys got to cover this. We've got a few people that not only emailed and wrote in and also hit us up on IG. We will be doing that. we got a fantastic golf reporter from Fox Sports uh, that will be on the program in the coming weeks. So more on that. We're going to give you the, the history, everything around it. Obviously, if you know me, you know I worked for the tour and their international property. So I have a lot to say about that, but obviously we'll give you uh, the, the background as to that league. Um, Nick, this, let me first say hello to you. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? I, I haven't seen you in a few days. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're going to be uh, finally heading on vacation soon, so I'm excited for just some R&R, obviously. Uh, but we're, we're good in Pennsylvania, just hot. Oh, my goodness. You know, the planet's on fire again. Yeah, what, what's going on in PA? You keep mentioning this is the second episode. What's the weather over there? What, what is it? 200 degrees? Like, I'm, I'm in I, it's, I'm I mean, it's well into the 90s. And sometimes it crack, It just just about cracks 100. Um, but like most most places in the country, like that's unseasonably hot. Right. Uh, when I was in Arkansas, you know, Fort Smith specifically, uh, it was 103. Now, for, I understand that that's kind of almost typical. But I mean, these are these are pretty extremely hot temperatures. But more importantly, just staying cool, you know, and, and trying to take in as much of the relaxation as we can. So that's that's it where we are. Shout, that's, that's awesome. Shout out to Eileen, by the way. That was yeah. that's incredible. You showed me that the other day. Um, that means a lot, folks. You know, those who take the time to not just retweet our show, um, just be able to capture it in a way that tells us that you're really listening. And the fact that people are coming away feeling educated on topics that we talk about comes back to our mission with this show you know right. talk to people who know what they're talking about obviously mike and i are not experts but we're just distilling our hopes when we do our conversation is distilling what's going on through the work of just credible journalists that's very well said um let's transition though into our first segment here nick um recently you may have missed some of these these races that have been happening 
Uh, let's get into one of them specifically in Arizona, the governor's race that is happening out there between Carrie Lake, the GOP uh, nominee that is a Trump back candidate. She's a former local news anchor out there. She's been going up against Karen Taylor uh, Robson, I believe is her name. She was one of the more prominent Republicans around the country that was backed by Vice President Pence. If you recall a few weeks back in the campaign cycle, Pence had and remember, I was telling you this, Nick, off air, we were texting. I'm like, Pence is having something tonight in Arizona and Trump is having something tonight in Arizona, both for campaigning for the for the other uh, person. Uh, Lake has been at the center of election denying. She goes out there every chance she gets, talks about how the election is stolen. Uh, and this is big. This is happening across the country now, Nick. I mean, I want to get your takeaways. Uh, what's what's happening right now around the country where. Democrats are doing some financial support in terms of advertisements for election denier candidates like Carrie Lake, uh, like Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. And some of these MAGA candidates are winning these primaries, and now they're set to take on Democratic candidates in the fall. And what's happening is uh, the moderate Republican candidates, Robeson, for example, being one of them kind of on the fringe, you're going to hear a soundbite in a second that may make you go, eh, I don't know. But um, and and those moderate Republicans are losing those primaries. Some of them are losing them. Some of them are winning them. Uh, but let's first get to know Carrie Lake. Why don't you take a listen, Nick, to Carrie Lake here. Talk a little bit about some of her feelings on the state of Arizona and the election of 2020. It's Doug Ducey's policy, which is lay down like a doormat, let the cartels trample all over you and let the cartels take control of Arizona. This all happened on Doug Ducey's watch. Now, I know we have an illegitimate moron sitting in the White House, but Doug Ducey is the governor of Arizona and the states have the right to protect their citizens. And damn it, we're going to do it starting January of 23. I'd actually like to ask everybody on this stage if they would agree we had a corrupt, stolen election. Raise your hand. I've looked um, at the evidence. We did a why, forensic why audit. Why have you looked at the evidence and the courts? Turn it to over to the, the authorities. The courts, I have a chance the courts to look haven't at the looked at the evidence because they haven't found sustainable and substantive. Then turn we it in. Evidence. You should turn we it in. Have evidence. I know you don't you believe that our election in. was stolen, Karen. We outvoted the fraud. We didn't listen to what the fake news had to say. The MAGA movement rose up and voted like their lives depended on it. All right. That was the GOP um, uh, debate, excuse me, that happened maybe a couple of months ago. And then the last clip that you heard there was actually Carrie Lake declaring victory, Nick, declaring de victory before all the votes have been counted. She's de she declared victory. I don't know if you saw these tweets that were making the rounds. She had everything loaded in the prompter to declare victory, regardless of what happened with the race being called. If you know anything about what happened in 2020, Arizona's polling and their counting of ballots took a few days because the state was, I guess, overwhelmed or just didn't have enough staff, et cetera, et cetera. It took them a few days to you know, certify or at least uh, you know, give the nomination to President Biden. Um, I want to get your takeaways, Nick, on two of those things I just mentioned there. First, you heard Carrie Lake right there in her own words, her campaign ad. You heard her there obviously declaring victory. And then you heard her in, in the governor's debate about, you know, election fraud and stuff like that. And there's candidates, one playing out in your state, Doug Mastriano going up against Josh Shapiro um, for governor as well. And these candidates, again, some of them, I'm not, I'm not sure about Lake, but I know Mastriano have had ads that have been run by Democratic candidates. And these people are now in position where they're on the ballot, they're on the ticket in the fall. 
and they could win. What do you think of the strategy? What do you think of Lake overall and what's happening in Arizona? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a dangerous bet. Um, I think you're stoking... I, st- I think you're stoking flames that you want to be careful, you know, how uncontrollable that fire could get, you know, currently in Pennsylvania, you know, Josh Shapiro has a very narrow lead currently on polling against Doug Mastriano. Um, you know, on the other side, obviously in a Senate race, you know, John Fetterman's, I think, pulling ahead of, of Matt Oz. Um, but it's a close race, though. You know, and many things Mastriano uh, represents, not just the MAGA bullshit, but in terms of guns. It, recently, I just drove by a campaign ad and it just had, you know, a black and white picture, ominous looking of candidate Shapiro, Joe Biden saying, you know, if you vote Democrat, like your you know money expenses go up, inflation, like this is what Republicans will do. So to try to fund that, you know, I think is I think is reckless. Um, and I think it's you know, it's a strategy we saw Adam Kinzinger brought up as being um, just in bad faith. Personally, I don't know if it's necessarily bad faith. Um, I complain often, you know, maybe not sometimes through this show, but you know, through text about Democrats not trying to win. You know, trying to win arguments, but not necessarily trying to win elections. This is a pretty risky bet. But this sounds like something, and this is, I guess, what I would offer as praise to Democrats. This sounds like something Republicans would do, right? It sounds ruthless enough, and I'm not trying to say Republicans all are. I mean, there are certainly, you know, some who I don't necessarily cast in that light. But this sounds like the kind of stuff you would see out of the Republican Party in many places. So, I think Democrats are just are wisening up. I think they recognize, you know. Going low is, as you know, former First Lady Michelle Obama talked about, sometimes doesn't pay off. And I think you're going to have to take take a different road, you know, to try to claim victory. Again, risky bet though. State of Pennsylvania is not California. It's not New Jersey. You know, it is Republican leaning, even ever so slightly. 2020, you know, obviously went to Biden. Uh, yes, folks, it did go to Biden. <laughs> I'm, you know, we're not. We don't, we don't entertain. We that. We're not still nonsense here. So, but it can easily swing back the other way. So I think that's something to pay attention to. But as far as the ma- the talking points, the Megan bullshit about stealing the election, it's professional wrestling. I, I truly don't. I truly want Carrie Lake, by the way, is a former newscaster. Like she's you know, like she's built to be able to look in front of a camera and sound convincing, you know, right. and there's obviously many things that people you know do in newscasting. Mike knows it's better than I do, but she's a performer like I that's full on. That's part of the gig when you're in front of a camera is you've got to perform. I say this as I'm looking at a green light because you know, my voice <laughs> reminds me to do so. Right. So she has that talent. Um, but beyond that, Mike, I was looking at the Arizona state budget as you were talking about, about uh, Candidate Lake. Where in the hell is she going to find the money to go ahead and first off, finish Trump's wall? That's funny to me because do you not understand how geography works? The wall that you're talking about doesn't necessarily just run through Arizona. Is the idea that you're going to just build it through Arizona and that's just going to stop people from coming in because they're going to see the, a fraction of the wall and say, wait, wait, that's it. Can't I can't just go into the next state and come in. That's stupid. You can't do anything with that wall. That's beyond a state me- measure. And, and as far as the election bullshit, it's been proven. Numerous cases thrown out, but data doesn't matter to folks like her Mastriano. It just doesn't. It's it, it sell the story, but sell it convincingly enough that you're going to get at least forty percent of people who are dedicated to showing up. And the really question, the margin there, is those remaining five percent, because right. on the other side, you're going to have to pull that fifty percent. You're going to have to pull slightly higher. And Democrats, we see sometimes struggle with maintaining that passion. We're going to talk about an example in a moment of where that passion certainly showed up in Kansas. 
but you got to keep bringing it. And Republicans, to their credit, even the craziest of the bunch will do so. Right. Uh, she's going up, by the way, against Katie Hobbs, who's the current Secretary of State. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm mystified. I don't want to entertain anything about election denying or anything like that. Just like the Alex Jones part, you know, in the court of law, you can do that on TV, Miss Lake, where you f- formerly came from. Like Nick just said, there is some performative element to that. You can do that on television. You can't do that in the court of law. She knows that. Everybody knows that. The people that are still buying into that, that's the issue I have. I know you have one more thing before we move on to the Kansas amendment. <sighs> Yeah. And, you know, as we're about to transition to Kansas, I think that's one of the biggest things is if you're a Democrat strategist, I think the opportunity here is to talk about where is the where is Canada Lake on on the um, on abortion rights, because that that's the clearest argument that you're going to make for those who are on the fence. Election deniers are not the majority. I cannot say this enough. They are the they are the minority. They're a vocal minority and they're a silly minority, but they're still the minority. Lake is going to appeal to them and they're going to show up. But, you know, the ability to incorporate the pro-choice movement or pro-choice argument, which we saw in Kansas, is going to be key. And all you can do is you help the Democratic strategist, you know, get their shit together and make that the target. I mean, she's silly. I mean, she's no different to me than Herschel Walker in Georgia. Right. You know, these are these are incoherent candidates from the standpoint that they have no platform. Right. There's there's truly nothing there. It's to simply say we're trying to fight for election integrity. That's great. What are you going to do about inflation? What are you going to do about a teacher shortage? Right. Nothing. Which Absolutely by, not a goddamn thing. By the way, if you go back into the governor debate, you know, as we were pulling clips for this show, there was something that she talked about from the educational element. I would love to get your take on that. You listen to that. You text me. The people don't need to hear that. Uh, we'll put them to sleep. Um, so let's get into the Kansas. Let's transition into what happened with Kansas, because it feeds in perfectly, right? Democratic strategists, Republican strategists, they're all looking at a hugely red state in Kansas, right? That this past Tuesday on a proposed amendment allowed the Kansas state legislature to regulate abortions in the state. It was resoundingly, by the way, let me give you some background real quick. 2019, the state Supreme Court struck down a ban on surgical abortions, six to one decision, ruling that the state's constitution protected a woman's choice to engage in that activity as a right. So then this comes on a referendum. They vote on it. Take a listen to what happened. They celebrated in Kansas last night after voters rejected a move to remove abortion right protections from the state's constitution. Now, this is the first referendum on the issue since the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade. Voters rejected the measure put forth by Republican legislators, nearly 60 to 40 percent. A bunch of different uh, people were tweeting out about this former CBS News anchor, Dan, rather uh, on the Democratic strategy shifting after the Kansas vote, might be time to reshuffle the conventional wisdom deck for the midterms. CNN contributor Paul Begala, who's, who worked on President Clinton's staff. Tonight's result in Kansas is one of the biggest political stories of the year. If the GOP can't sell their anti-woman BS in Kansas, they can't sell it anywhere. Obviously, some other Republicans have been downplaying what happened in Kansas because of some of the victories that have happened uh, in some of these GOP primaries. And we talk about the fracture of the party right now, right? You got the MAGA candidates that are openly saying, hey, I'm a MAGA candidate. And then the ones that are actually moderate leaning, we just talked about the Democratic money that's going around there. Um, this is a huge thing. We just had a Democratic strategist, on, excuse me, a Democratic strategist on recently, Leslie Marshall, who's a Fox News contributor and works on a bunch of different campaigns, not only in California, but nationally. Uh, and she mentioned about this, that she thought abortion would be a bigger 
issue going into the midterms. Well, here's the first example of a traditional red state that put it on the ballot as a referendum and it got, you know, voted to keep women's rights in terms of being pro-choice. I want to, and I don't want to say the pro-life part because Kate Smith yelled at us last time. Uh, but one thing I will say is uh, Josh Hammer, who's uh, an editor over at Newsweek, the opinion editor over at Newsweek, tweeted out something that was pretty interesting. He said, the pro-life movement is going to have to carefully study what went wrong here and make some necessary adjustments if they feel they need be. So a lot to get to on that. Nick, let me get some of your takeaways on a traditional red state voting for something that would fall into what we're seeing right now. Blue states are upholding abortion and abortion care, whereas red states are implementing heartbeat laws and different other measures to ban abortions uh, across with no exceptions for anything in some states. And here's a traditional red state that is 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 keeping abortions uh, legal for women and and letting it be their choice as it should be, as you know, you and I feel about that. Let me get some of your takeaways on, on what you saw in Kansas on, on last Tuesday. One thing to think about with Kansas is, you know, the last time a Democrat won the electoral vote in Kansas was 1964. It was Lyndon Johnson. Ever since then, you know, Kansas has gone to Republicans. Uh, I, I forget the name of the author. There's a really good book. Um, what you know, what's wrong with Kansas, or maybe it's a slightly different title, but it's the idea that, you know, for what we consider blue dog Democrat states, you know, pro pro union, um, anti corporations, like the, that was what the Democratic Party would own in the Rust Belt and, you know, parts of the middle of the country moving to a conservative tilt, um, which usually economically never really benefits them. I, I never understand why, but we're not going to get to that here. Um, what Tuesday's vote showed is that on this single issue, and that, that's important. You know, one thing I was reading, you know, from NPR was that um, let's remember that this decision was just about abortion, access to abortion, the ability, a, a referendum for the state to decide whether you can, you know, eliminate abortion, essentially. And the state said no. In that issue, you're going to have voters show up and you're going to have voters very passionate. But the question is, is it the number one issue for voters when they're making an overall decision about who they're going to vote for? It's not. It's it's actually economics. It's still inflation. And that's still the thing that Democrats have to recognize. The victory lap this week is great to see, but historically, Democrats like to do that. Like They like to celebrate a lot. And then they just move on, right? <laughs> you win the presidential election, don't show up for the midterms. Uh, Democrats, or rather Republicans, do a better job of stoking fear, stoking passion, and Democrats have to do the same. Uh, from the Hill, in addition, after Kansas, four other states are coming up. You know, to have a very similar ballot on the or um, vote on the ballot as it relates to abortion. Those states are California, Kentucky, Montana, Vermont. Uh, obviously, we're, if we're in Las Vegas with hundred dollars, I'm putting about ninety nine dollars on California, and I may just take that extra buck and put it on Vermont as far as not letting this um, ballot go through. About. Um, about in regard to abortion. But Kentucky and Montana, though, are interesting to me because you may see a similar result as we did with Kansas. But again, this is in matters of abortion. The question's at a federal level when you have senators, when you have a presidential election, and the matter of being pro abortion or anti abortion comes up, that's where it hurts. But in a state level election, it may not be. The biggest driver when it's being coupled with other economic factors, and I say this in reference to the state of Pennsylvania, for example, where it's not just the you know 
pro-abortion, anti-abortion, it's inflation. It's about the economy. It's the economy, stupid. Like that, that's what Carvel and Bagala had, you know, coined as a phrase back in 92. So what I take from Kansas is that the matter of being pro-abortion is still important in places that you don't normally think. You know, we sometimes look at certain states, particularly in the Southeast, and we say, well, we know how they're going to decide. Don't be so sure. Well said. I mean, I thought that was one of the most interesting things that uh, was outlined by everybody in in different news media circles. um, And to see that vote come down for a traditional red state, like you mentioned, is pretty shocking. Um, So we'll see how that plays out across the midterms happening in November. Uh, And don't forget, right before November, October, live show, Washington, D.C. Can we please talk? Uh, When we come back after the break, Catherine Perlman wrote a great book. And it's not it's not what you would think it is because it is designed for kids that are trying to get their first phone, right? Or maybe I have just gotten their first phone from their parents. It's titled First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. When we come back, the author of this book on the podcast. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. Nick, as always, our show is sponsored by the good folks at Bones Coffee. You go to BonesCoffee.com, great tasting coffee and an affordable price. Come on, Nick, sell the people. Give them a, give them a quick elevator pitch sell on why they should get Bones Coffee. Folks, I, I, I say this almost every week on this show, right? Flavored coffee, oftentimes just the flavor doesn't show up. Bones gets this right. It is it, when they roast their beans, they are imbuing those beautiful flavors into it. Currently, we are all about the maple bacon here at the Zaveri household. Uh, we get it, we get it freshly bagged. We grind it here. Uh, it's just part of our daily routine. I can't speak enough about it. As Mike said, super affordable, but just a huge library of flavors. Whatever you're into, they got you. The world's freshest small batch coffee, BonesCoffee.com. There are sample packs on there. You can join their coffee club. You can even buy stuff in bundles. But when you throw everything into that little shopping cart. Right at checkout, there's a promo code box. Enter in one word. Can we please talk? All one word. You get 15% off your first order. Head to BonesCoffee.com today. All right, Nick, let's take a quick break from the world burning with record high temperatures. There's war in Eastern Europe, democracy being tested here at home, blah, 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 blah. Let's talk about a fantastic new book that just came out. It's called First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility. The author of that book, Dr. Catherine Perlman, joins us here on the Can We Please Talk podcast. Dr. Perlman, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me. So, you know, we reached out to you because we've obviously had your husband on the program, uh, the illustrious Jeff Perlman, with a bunch of his books in the sports space. I'm curious, though, about your book, because Nick and I both have our girl dads. I have two daughters. Nick has two daughters. Um, what made you want to write a book about teaching kids responsibility to this? Because there's a lot of parents right now, and I know your book is, is for kids, but there's a lot of parents across different age ranges struggling 
when to give a kid a device, you know, obviously how can they get information faster? Computers, laptops, tablets, it's all out there. What, what made you want to write this book and tell us a little bit about the book. So the book is for eight to 13, seven to 14 year olds, and it teaches them everything, the basics they need to know about etiquette, social media, self-care, when to Google, what not to Google, a little bit of porn sexting, um, you know, basically an introduction of everything they need to know, scams, phishing, and how to stay safe and sane online. Um, and I wrote it because a few things started to happen. First of all, cell phones are everywhere. And if your kid doesn't have a cell phone, they have an iPad. And if they don't, their friends do. So they have access to all these things anyway. And then the other thing was that I kept getting calls from parents whose kids were exposed to something, oops, by accident. So I, I don't know what to do. My kid saw porn. My kid was sexted. Um, my kid ordered something on Amazon. You know, kids are getting access. They're making mistakes and they're not being educated for themselves. So when their parents aren't around, they have to make good decisions. And I wanted to write a book just for them. So this to me is a guide for parents, but to be read by kids with their parents or without their parents. Dr. Perlman, this, this particularly hits me personally because yeah, obviously, as Mike had mentioned, you know, being a parent, but also my wife's a pediatric intensive care doctor. So what something that we've we've often sometimes seen is when we're dealing when she's dealing with, you know, matters of older children that have run into um, self-harm to be just, to, you know, put some soft language around for a moment. One common thread that she has seen often is the role that social media has played. Uh, and with that in mind, one thing I, I noticed in your book is just the way it's framed, you know, from the ver, ver, from the perspective of different characters. Like there's an approachability that you struck there that seems different than I think oftentimes common sense, all these different places that sort of are very top down, very parent, you know, language driven. What was the thought there in terms of developing a book, not just specifically for kids, but like the way you've written it uh, in terms of accessibility for readers? So I knew that kids did not want to hear from another parent about what to do and what not to do with their cell phones. Like they have parents. So I wanted to have, you know, me be able to use my voice as an expert, but then also to have these five relatable kids that are conglomerate of kids that I know um, who kind of uh, help tell the story, help tell about their mistakes, their uses, um, their learning curve, so that it's much more readable for kids. And when I created each one of those kids, I tried to make it so that every kid could find themselves in one of these kids, whether it's like a personality trait, a family situation, a disability, uh, something that they could say, oh yeah, this is just like me. This is just like my family. Um, being in the military, having family far away, whatever it may be. So I, I hope it's readable for kids and relatable. That was the whole thing I was hoping for. No, Dr. Perlman, I wanted to ask you because I thought about this earlier today in prepping for this interview. I think about my times, you know, learning history, right? And and the way the education system is under attack right now. And I didn't have as much access to technology as kids today have. Um, with within your book, um, how how can kids understand? You have a chapter called to Google or not to Google, right? I, I know you mentioned it, but like how can kids navigate this? when to actually look at something, when to not look at something, how to verify that something is real. And how would you advise kids? You know, I know parents will be listening to this podcast. This is not kid recommended, <laughs> but like, <laughs> how would, how would you recommend for parents that have these kids that are trying to navigate this world where technology is, is so pervasive, like you mentioned? 
Well, I mean, I think Google is this, and whatever search engine is, this amazing resource for us. And we get in this habit of just like having a thought and immediately Googling it. And I want kids to at least take a break, to take a second to say, is this something that I'm ready for? Might I see something that I'm I'm not gonna like or I can't handle? And then if they do see something, to be able to talk to their parents about it very openly without feeling any kind of shame and then learning from that experience. So like, just because it's available doesn't mean we should look at it um, and that there are dangers. And then the more things we click on, the more things that are shown to us. And so I think it's important for kids to realize when they see something pop up, even on YouTube, that seems a little off topic, don't click on it. Um, so I think there's that. And then also, you know, on the internet, there's truth, there's opinion, there's falsehoods, and kids have to learn to be discerning um, uh, young people about what's real, what's not, and how to verify sources or information. And there are a lot of ways that even younger children can do this. Um, you know, I just give them some simple tips about, you know, is there a byline? And um, is the person a professional? And is it one of the big top newspapers? You know, things like that. Um, can you find that same story in multiple newspapers? You know, there's ways to teach kids concrete things that they can verify information. Sounds like sounds like somebody's been listening to our program. Um, I was, you know, it's funny. <laughs> right? I just I got called on the mute button. Look at that. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, That'll be edited I'm, out. <laughs> I'm smiling because Dr. Perma, you're hitting on something that we have talked a lot about. You know, from the early, you know, start of the show, which was about information literacy. Um, yeah. It was interesting because Mike, you led off talking about, you know, being you know a different perspective for this episode, and it's funny because digital literacy in the education space is one of the most is the biggest thing that we see. You know, when you think about the war in Ukraine, and we think about climate change, we think of all these things. What often comes up is this: that kids are missing out. They're just they're missing it through education or what they're exposed to on the internet isn't isn't connecting to it. I bring all this up, Dr. Perlman, because one of the other things I really liked about your book was that it also gets into, it's not entirely all gloom and doom. You know, you have portions of the book that talk about with a mobile device, how do you organize yourself? How do you actually take advantage of this to becoming a burgeoning professional? You know, I'm a calendar nerd, you know, by trade because my digital calendar is really my livelihood professionally. And I really enjoyed how you started talking about some of the different ways to like reframe the idea of devices in the hands of, of kids. Um, and I just wanted you to be able to speak on that for a moment of what is the opportunity when students you know have access to devices that can really just build them in a way, build them up in a way that prepares them to be more 21st century as a, as a, as a citizen? Well, we saw during the pandemic what happens when kids don't have access and not just because, you know, um, immediately we needed remote learning, but, you know, as research tools, as ways of doing homework, everything is connected these days. And I tried to start the book with so many positive things that kids can do on smartphones. These are amazing devices. I think we really have to stop bad mouthing smartphones and screen time. And I think we have to sort of rebrand as to how can we use these things for good instead of evil? How can we use them for um, you know, some positive ways, some connection? And how can we set up limitations so that we don't take it too far, that we manage our self-esteem and we manage our time online, we manage how we can't comment and um, the way we treat people online. Like those are things we can teach and those are things we could manage. Um, but I don't think we should throw everything out about smartphones. I think it's a wonderful device for a lot of reasons. And I try to also show with these kids in the book, you know, one kid has diabetes and he uses his phone for like a life-saving device. My dad used it as well. So I think, um, you know, there's so many good things that happen. I, I think it's important not to just poo-poo everything about smartphones. Totally agree with that. Um, 
I did want to ask you, um, what what is something somebody's listening to this program right now? And we've had a bunch of different parents that have written in. I was telling you off air about recently we had an education correspondent on that wrote something similar that was more a guide for parents back in in 2018 in on your comments. But um, what do you hope? that people that buy this book or see this book in a bookstore, they see it on Amazon or the, the local bookstore, what do you hope uh, this book will offer those families? You know, I wrote it for kids, but it feels like a gift to parents because, you know, parents want to help educate their kids. But I mean, it took me a lot of research and many, many months to write this book. Who has time for that? Um, so what I hope is that it actually educates kids. It gets into the hands of kids that need it. Um, but that parents use it as a beginning guide, as a way of saying, okay, we're on the same page and let's build on it. And I try and tell parents that, you know, digital education is lifelong. We as adults are still learning. There's new scams, there's new technology, there's updates. We always have to learn. That's the world we're living in. And so we shouldn't just give the book and say like, good luck kids, you know, I'm out. Uh, we should use it as a beginning guide and then continue the conversation as the kids age. Catherine Perlman, before we let you go, we, we can't let you go without asking you this. The other day, Nick brought this to my attention. Your husband, Jeff Perlman, is an advocacy for a lot of issues. I know both of you. You're not going to bring up the toothpaste center. thing, are you? I have to bring up. Oh, the t- We goodness. have to ask her on the toothpaste front because your husband has a big social media following of which two of uh, the two of us are part of this. Um, he even mentioned that he was trying to write a book one day on gun ownership and gun zealots and stuff like that. Um, and I don't understand the love affair with guns either, but that's a different. Uh, so I'm in his <laughs> book. Um, your husband uh, posted on social media about uh, <laughs> arguing with somebody and he would use this toothpaste in hand to hand combat with him. Your thoughts when you when he hit sent on that tweet. Oh, he should so read the book. <laughs> I regularly don't read my own husband's Twitter because. Um, I think he is a uh, oversharer and I think he sends things out of anger. And if you met him in person, he is not like that at all. So um, I think he gets caught up and he has been learning over the years. He used to be um, a little more angry uh, on, on Twitter and he's come a long way. So he's sort of a model for toning it down, but he's not there yet. We're working on it. Uh, w- would there be a book for a, a guide to digital responsibility for uh, that? That could be passed <laughs> along in the Perlman house. But written it, in a way that's accessible that you could be as young as like <laughs> nine, say years old, all the way up to like an adult. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. That's such a great idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going yeah. to get that book. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, I mentioned this to your husband. I do. I love his podcast too, Writer Sling and Yang. And I love the intro that your son does about saying his podcast stinks. Um, and and that, that's one thing that's always made me laugh. It, um, so uh, much success to him. But for Catherine Perlman's book, it is now available out wherever books are sold. Nick and I both have copies. First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility. Can't thank you enough for coming on the program today, Catherine Perlman. Continuing success to you. Please stay safe. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right. Our thank yous there to Dr. Catherine Perlman. Go get that book now. It is out now, available wherever books are sold. First phone, 
Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. You know, I have I have a copy here. Nick has a copy as well. It, I mean, listen, as a parent, you should be reading this as well. But like she mentioned, the book is really designed for kids to navigate them into different situations of like, should I trust this? Should I not trust that? Um, there's, there's a lot in this book. I wish my daughter was, I mean, I know she loves reading, but she's three years old. She hasn't really, <laughs> not fully understanding that. For, but Nick, for your daughter, who is seven years old, who is going to start, you know, reading more books. Uh, give me some of your takeaways on, on, on Catherine's book for kids. Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, the fact that it's just targeted. Yeah. My, my seven-year-old hasn't started reading it yet, but it's something we're going to be getting to. Um, and it's just the way it's written. It's just targeted to kids. I mean, we said this before on the, on the uh, interview. Uh, it's a unique approach, you know, just stylistically, uh, but it gets the point across. And, you know, one of the other big things is we talked about, it's not just scaring people about social media and you should be scared. You should be as a parent, be very vigilant. Don't keep your kids on TikTok. That's it. I'm just going to be honest with you. Unless their kid is 18 years old or over, there's absolutely no reason for children to have a TikTok account. Same yeah. thing with Facebook, same thing with Twitter. Um, but not just about social media and scaring people, but what is the advantage? What are the opportunities with a digital device? I say this as a person who is, you know, previously served as a primarily instructional technology coach. And this is one of the most important things about digital literacy, but about digital responsibility. So I thought she, she hits a home run, honestly, with the book and the work that she's doing. And I hope more, you know, in the education space, I hope school districts get involved, get copies of the book, get her to come on, talk to students. She's an ama- she does amazing work, and this is a great opportunity for schools, especially as they come back to begin a new you know, um, you know, school year, to have an opportunity to really have a great text to come back to. And hopefully yeah. just it's not banned in uh, some states. Oh, right. Well, Jesus. Um, <laughs> you know, by the way, I want to mention that she is a licensed clinical social worker. And she's been helping children and families for more than 25 years as the founder of The Family Coach. So she knows what she's talking about. And that's the tagline of this show. Uh, before we sign off, one thing I did want to talk about, um, if you saw the news that happened last week with uh, WNBA star Brittany Griner, sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison. Um, obviously, if you don't know about this story, Griner, who is a two-time WNBA All-Star, she's an Olympian athlete and won an Olympic gold medal with the USA women's team. She was arrested back in February 17 uh, for bringing cannabis into the country. Now, it's actually not cannabis. I mean, it is cannabis because it's CBD oil, but the amount that she brought in was less less than a a gram, I believe. Um, And obviously, this trial, we didn't find out about her being detained for a few weeks, if you recall. Then finally, the news broke about that she had been detained for more than a month. And then there was talk about how long this trial would play out. And everything you know, came to a head. She pleaded guilty on July 7th, um, although the case continued under Russian law. And then uh, last week, Judge Anna Sotonikova, oh, I love the way that I just said that, uh, found that Griner intentionally broke the law and fined her 1 million rubles as well, which is about $17,000 US is the conversion there. Um, she said the time Griner has served in custody since her arrest in February would count towards the sentence. Oh, great. Thanks there. Um, so that's about six months that she had been serving in the, the Russian prison. And uh, I believe she's going to serve the remainder of that sentence or whatever comes next, because obviously the United States has talked about a prisoner swap with Russia. We know what's happening here with respect to Vladimir Putin's invasion in Ukraine and this happening around that same time. If you recall, maybe uh, you know Ukraine had already happened, I believe. And uh, and now everyone has seen this, at least the Western world, other nations in Europe 
have all seen this as a bargaining chip, right, for Vladimir Putin to play and what diplomacy plays out in that, whether it's, you know, stop sending arms to Ukraine, whether it is a prisoner swap that's, you know, equatable for the two of them. There's talk about a Russian arms dealer being involved in this swap. I mean, yeah, sounds about right. A Russian arms dealer, Nick, for a WNBA superstar who had less than a gram of cannabis oil as she was coming into the country to play, by the way, for the Russian team. If you're wondering why she was in Russia, uh, we mentioned this on the episode. You can go check it out uh, that we did a while back about Brittany Griner's um, when she got arrested. But um, she makes about a, a million and a half just playing basketball in Russia because women's sports in other uh, European uh, countries does tend to pay a lot more than they do pay out here in the States. So she had been playing in Russia for the last maybe six or seven years. And she got detained in Moscow's Sheremetyev airport airport. Damn, I was working on trying to say that, but I'm sorry. The Russian language is, is too strong for me, Nick. Um, I just, but listen, this is pretty serious about, you know, I feel bad for, you know, if you remember the plot line to the movie broke down palace, like, it's all about two people that are Americans going into a foreign country, right? They got set up in that movie. Brittany's coming into the country hastily packed. She mentioned there's no, you know, just landed. How long is that flight? It's about a 12 hour flight, I believe from the U S to, uh, and who knows if she was flying from Phoenix to Russia. Um, and, and that's a long flight and she just lands there with her bag, you know, very under the malaise of, you know, time travel and, you know, adjusting to the hours as you're landing, in Russia. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, they find this in her bag. Maybe it was left there from a previous trip because remember it's legal in Arizona. So obviously it could have, you know, it could have stayed in her bag from previous, uh, some thoughts that when I texted you about the sentencing, you were, you, as soon as I said nine years, you were like for Brittany Grant, like you knew right away because this case has now been top of mind for a lot of people that not only follow the WNBA, follow the Phoenix Mercury, but she is a known athlete at least on the women's professional sports level. She's known in Russia as well. During the trial, they had some of her teammates from the Russian team that she plays for there testify on her behalf of what a good citizen she is. But um, my one takeaway before you go was nine years and people here in this country that are part of faction of that Republican Party that are MAGA you know, Republicans are calling Joe Biden communists and socialists and conflating two terms because they don't know what either of them mean. But if you truly want to see what an authoritarian regime looks like, look no further than the country that gives you almost 10 years for carrying a little bit of marijuana. Although some would argue we used to do something like that back in the day in the war on drugs. I want to get your takeaways, though, Nick, on uh, on what happened to Brittany and what will happen going forward, because we are going to have a correspondent coming on to talk about this in the coming weeks. Yeah, I mean that right now you've got yeah ten days to make an appeal. So obviously her her defense team will do that. Um, and Mike, it's just sad. You know, I, I've I've had a chance to watch to watch Brittany play. Um, she's one of the best players in her sport. I, I think, and it's not just her. You're easily reminded that right now we're paying attention to one particular prisoner. And I'm going to say political because I don't. I think if if the invasion of Ukraine hadn't been going on, if relationships between the Russia and the U.S. hadn't been tense. Uh, if you know Vladimir Putin hadn't been you know president of Russia, I don't know where we are with all this. But all those things are in place, and this poor person here is just caught in the middle of a political battle. Um, you know, it's funny. I was texting some friends today, and you know, one person chimed in with, "Well, though, you know, those are the rules," which is just honestly a stupid thing to say. Because um, in a country where I don't, Mike, we've talked about this for a while. 
with Russian media that why in the hell would you take anything seriously from that government, from that president? So I'm supposed to believe that those laws are very clear so that if you violate them or upon entering Russia, like it's just an understanding, like just not keep that stuff on you. Uh, I'm supposed to trust that that policy, that law is instituted consistently to people in the, in the country. Bullshit. She's not an American athlete. We're not having this conversation. Nine years for an ounce or a gram. I forget the measure. Yeah, I don't. I forget it. too. It's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. And it's scary. This is a married person who's got family. You know, it's like we're sitting here worrying about the fact that this person may not come home. And let's be honest with ourselves. It says nine years from what I'm reading on CNN. Usually times, oftentimes with a charge like this, this will get down to five years. Whoop-de-doo uh, with a chance of parole. With Putin still as president of that country, and he used the word president loosely because that usually connotes elections. And do you trust that that country has fair elections? I sure as fuck don't. So I'm supposed to believe this is all on the up and up. (laughs) I I don't. As long as that person's president of that country, I have absolutely zero faith in that country in its ability to administer any laws justly. Brittany Griner is sadly a political prisoner, and I have no idea in the world what you do as a country to do to to liberate this person. A prisoner exchange. This is the best we've got. That's what we do. Listen, it's you summed it up there. Um, it, it is it is pretty sad to see what's playing out. She said, "I love you, I love my family." Excuse me, as she was walking out of the courthouse. There were some CNN reporters, international correspondents that uh, were there. You know. I, I encourage people that listen to this program as you hear the music as we're signing off here go back and listen to one of our episodes we had g0 media's alex clement there fluent in russian has been covering russian politics for g0 media that was started by ian bremer and uh and he writes for them uh, and is one of their producer editors i forget and he talked about independent state media he did a survey about like the last known independent um media television outlet there in russia it's gone right putin has bought all of these stations up and he oversees all of this so like he oversees the way information is trickled out to people about the war so that would mean that he influences the way judges make decisions the way if you if you're manipulating one part of society why wouldn't you think that they've been manipulating another part of society and we've seen what have happened with some of his opponents and you know there's that cnn documentary about you know the, the his famous opponent Navalny, who who he poisoned and then had to land in germany and had had to have that uh, surgery or whatever it was uh, you could check that documentary out so i mean i feel bad for bg and and obviously and all these all these leagues are kind of they're they're tied right because there's not much they can do there's not much they can do and they need to wait on the state department diplomacy to happen so more on uh, Britney's situation and what uh, people out there expect from, like Nick mentioned, the appeal. But we'll we'll find out a little bit more as we have somebody coming on the program in the coming weeks to discuss that. Um, as we sign off here, video of this interview that we just did with Dr. Perlman is available on our YouTube channel now. Type in "Can We Please Talk Podcast." You can watch all of the video clips of all the video interviews we've done here. Audio podcast platforms, you know them by now. But please. Leave us a five-star review and comment, please. It helps boost the algorithm. Last week, Nick, last week, we reached number 125 in the United States on Apple Podcasts in news commentary. A milestone for this show as over 
85,000 people have watched or listened to this program in some format. And that is a testament to ACAST, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. We can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this program, watches this program, writes in comments, good, bad, or indifferent. You know how we feel about it. We can't thank you enough for giving us the ability to come into whatever method you're listening to us, watching us and give you the news of the week and everything that's happening and have some people on the program that know what they're talking about. As always, I am Mike Leon. Grateful to all of you who listen, who watch, who support the show, who text, who put your stuff, our stuff on IG. Thank you all. DC live show. We expect to see you all there. We may not have seats, but stand up, do something. We'll hope to see you uh, into the 124 shows that are currently ahead of us on Apple podcasts. Not for long. We'll see everybody next time. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.